All right, Allie, we are, we got a fun podcast to do today, I think. We really do. And it's, it's a pretty informative one. I'm excited about hearing and learning something new today. I know this is something we've never done anything like this before. So, um, you know, we've got Andrea McGuart with us today and she is a high school art teacher, um, but really in a public school system that is using art as a vehicle to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think it's exciting to learn how she did it. I mean, I studied art history years and years and years ago. Right. And um, so it'll be it'll be fun to just hear uh, and just how much excitement she has about because we've talked to her in the past about this. We've talked to her just about different things. She has so much energy and so many oh, yeah. uh, just a way of communicating that I think, you know, even if you don't love art, I, um, I think that she's going to really end up teaching us, you know, just something not just about art, but just about, um, just about, uh, back in the day, like what people really, you know, kind of how they manifested their beliefs onto a canvas or into a sculpture. I think it's going to be exciting. Oh, I do too. You know, and I, and I actually do like art. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I can't draw now. No. Uh, see, that's the huge difference between me and you. A lot of people don't know. Fun fact about Alison Hill that you may not realize is that she's actually a very gifted artist. Um, and she has beautiful abilities to draw. In fact, I have several of your, I have one of your watercolors, I think mm-hmm. it is, yeah. in my office. Yeah. And I have another drawing that you did that I have. Uh, and I mean, you're so, you're super talented. But now here's the bottom line. Yeah. Reba Bowman can't use scissors and cannot draw a stick figure. Cannot and you know this to be true. And yeah, and, and I, I do know that. But thankfully, you don't have to know how to draw to really just look at a painting or yes. look at a piece of art and appreciate it. And then, uh, you know, and then see a little bit deeper. I, there's, I just bought a piece of artwork the other day that I'm, I'm continuing. I watched the painter finish it. I watched the artist finish it. And so um, uh, downtown in the, in the colonial zone of Santo Domingo. And I was oh, able I to love be there that. when he finished it. Yeah. It was for a new counseling room. And so I was able just to sit with him basically until it dried. And so as I'm looking at the painting and then just staring, you know, further down into it, it's got such depth and I yeah. can really just appreciate. And I think that even, you know, because there were several people who commented on the painting as I'm bringing it home, um, you don't have to know how to draw to really be able to look at a mm-hmm. piece of art and see a little bit deeper. Um, and then to understand the backstory of the artist. Oh, and uh, yeah. I have several paintings in my house that were painted by a man here locally in San Pedro who suffers from bipolar disorder. And so his paintings are really, I mean, the more you look at it, um, I just, just knowing his backstory. And so I think that's where Andrea is going to go today is telling us a little bit, not just about the piece of art that we're looking yeah. at, but a little bit about the artist and his backstory as well. So I'm excited. Yeah. And, and how she tells a gospel story through that. Right. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm excited to see what this is. So uh, we'll see you ready. Okay. You ready to yeah, jump over jump right and talk in. to yeah. Andrea? Sounds All right. Good. Well, let's go do this podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. Hey everybody, this is Reba and welcome to Rooted Deep. Allison and I are here today and uh, man, it is just, uh, I'm kind of excited about the podcast today, Allie, because we have a very interesting topic today. Oh, yeah. And a few weeks ago, Reba asked everybody about, you know, kind of what they wanted to get from a podcast or the reasons why they listen to the podcast. And and so it, they didn't all say they wanted Bible studies of Philippians and Nehemiah. And we were right. Shocked. We just, you know, some people were like, well, I listen to podcasts because I want to learn something new. And so that's what today is. And I'm excited. I were excited about this interview. Oh, absolutely. So Andrea McGuart is here with us today. Now, Andrea, actually, Allison and I both have known Andrea for a long time um and uh so she sits on the board at dare for more so that's a cool thing um and but andrea and her family we've known forever but andrea is a public school teacher and she teaches art in the high school at the high school level so um you may wonder what in the world are we doing with a high school art teacher here today but one of the most fascinating things I think that I have always loved having conversations, Andrea, with you about through the years is the fact that you have used art as a platform 
to share about Jesus in your classroom. And I just think I'm like scratching my head when we first started talking about this a long time ago going, huh? But it's really cool what you do. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so honored um, to be invited to share what God is doing in a public school art classroom. I think um, many people have preconceived notions about art. They have preconceived notions about art is the way art is taught um and college campuses you know give us that platform to think well that's just a breeding ground for sin and evil (laughs) um and and art history that's not just just not so um I, I always tell my students when we're diving into discussions about God because the art that we discuss often points back to him and um, there are reasons for that. And we'll, we'll talk about that today. But one of the things I tell them is uh, Genesis 1.1. What, the, the first phrase of the scripture, in the beginning, God created. Yeah. And art ultimately is his passion, mm-hmm. as stated at the beginning of scripture. So um, it's my passion as well. And, and right just above that is sharing the gospel. And the Lord just has opened up a beautiful opportunities for me to do that through art history. Okay, so, so let's talk about that. I mean, um, like you've been, how long have you been teaching? So I've just finished my 18th year, 16 at the same high school. Okay, so like when did it, like have you always seen this this avenue as art as an opportunity for the gospel or when did it start to click with you oh my word look what I get to do that that is such a fantastic question and honestly the answer can be as simple or as loaded as you would like it to be so cut me off if I start going a little (laughs) yeah (laughs) the the truth is I (laughs) thanks Allie the truth is I never wanted to be a teacher never Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be an artist since the age of five. And um, while I was in college, the Lord started to plant a desire in my heart to teach through an experience that I didn't even ask for. I didn't even want. Um, And having the opportunity to teach students who are interested in art, this had nothing to do with art history and nothing to do with the gospel. It was just art. And I fell in love with it. And so I moved back home and pursued uh, a degree in education so that I could teach art in a public school. I knew I wanted to do that because my heart is for missions. And mm-hmm. the Lord had not called me to a uh, foreign mission field, but my, my heart is just so connected to missions. And I felt like if I taught at a public school, it would be a mission field. And yeah. a year in, I was trying to teach art, and that just wasn't happening. I, they were teaching me all kinds of things but there wasn't a whole lot of art education going on. And um, I asked to teach an art history class because uh, I needed a break from the norm. I needed something different. I'm passionate about art history and kids aren't often. And, and I wouldn't say a large percentage of adults are. Right. Uh, right. You just don't but, think about art history as being something that you're excited about. Right. But it, it's something I'm excited about and it would be something different. And I thought I could get some upperclassmen, Instead of ninth and 10th graders, I could have 11th and 12th graders. And uh, so I, I asked to teach an art history class. And when I was studying and preparing, they, they gave it to me. And when I was studying and preparing for this class, I honestly was reading through our textbook that is issued by the government. And when I was reading through this textbook, I just had tears. I mean, tears just streaming down my face because the gospel is presented in these works of art and on the pages of the book, whether the authors believed it or not, whether the artists believe it or not, it's recorded and I could share it openly based on what the book says. Not, not my opinion, Reba, uh, right. Allison, not my opinion at all. Um, so I just, you're just following the textbook. I'm following the textbook. Well, I'm a good teacher. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Keep my opinion out of it. And I just share what history recorded. I got you. So, so I know that you start a lot with the Renaissance. So 
a lot of people who are listening may know at least enough about history to know what the Renaissance was, right? Right. So, so talk to us about how you, how you start your art class. Let's talk about the Renaissance. Oh, I love that. So I start with a, a clip, a video clip of the Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles. That's how I start. Because the four, if, if you grew up on the Ninja Turtles, then you know their names. Fellow, yeah. Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo. And those are what art historians have said is the four greatest. And there's amazing artists that come out of the Renaissance, but the four greatest, according to art historians, and that's who we focus on, um, are these four artists. So I show them a clip of the Ninja Turtles. And they automatically are like, what, like, yeah, where's, where's the connection? Yeah. Yeah. Where's yeah. And then I'm like the, you know, you grew up on the Ninja Turtles and the creator of the Ninja Turtles saw the importance of these four artists. So we're going to focus there. Um, and, and I choose those four artists because the gospel is in their work and the power wow. of God on the lives of average humans is in their work. And I, I love to share that. So how, with these students, one of the questions that I have, because like Reba said, not everybody wants, so this is a, this is a class that students can choose to take, or is it something that they're, like, they're, because of their interest, like, they're already interested, so you don't have to bridge that, or is it, I mean, like, I taught Spanish, and so it's like, no, that's an obligation, I have to kind of, you know, but with art history, is it something they can choose, or was it, were they just kind of obligated to be in here for a credit? What's the situation? Yes and yes, yes. Um, and the, the, the lower percentage is those who choose it and want it. Mm, okay. Um, we're an overcrowded school. There's yeah. 35 in every class. So, uh, you know, the arts, they need an art credit, whether it's band or choir or theater, whatever, they need an art credit to graduate. So for some of them, um, they're like, oh, I don't have to make art. I don't have to sing. I can't play an instrument. Okay. Art history. Um, but for some, it's just, oh, there's three open spots. Let's throw these jokers in there. Mm -hmm. Right. Good. So that Very is your, cool. you're already, it's, an up, it's a little bit of an uphill climb at this point because you have to convince them. And, and I, think, I think that's fascinating because it is, for you especially, it's a challenge. It's like, okay, how can I, you know, how can I be creative um, and getting them excited about what, they're about to, what they're about to see? It's not just a Jeopardy category or whatever. Right. 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 And, and to be honest, we don't just jump into the Renaissance. That's where our study begins. That's the right. information they start being responsible for. But we spend about two weeks using modern day art that are conversation pieces um, to learn how to see art and to appreciate art without judgment. Yeah. Because that, that, that's the, the problem of human nature. We you know, judge a book by the cover, whether it's people or a book, an actual book or a thing. Um, or a person. So yeah. uh, we have to get over, we have to get over that. And for some, they get it in the first two weeks, how to see art and appreciate it without judgment. Yeah. Just an open book ready to receive what the artist is giving them. Very cool. So I, I know that, um, I know that during the Renaissance period, you've got Michelangelo, uh, obviously, uh, you know, and he, you know, I think one of the first, uh, things that fascinated me uh, as I was studying, I actually took an art history, art appreciation class myself in college. So as, a, you know, the Sistine Chapel is just one of those things that is mind boggling. Here's a man who lays on his back on scaffolding, uh, painting uh, one of the most beautiful, uh, amazing works of art that we have on this, up on the ceiling. So, and I know you talk about Michelangelo in your, in your classes. So, I mean, what's so great about him besides the fact he can paint laying down? Well, well, one thing that's fascinating is he never uh, desired to be a painter and he never claimed to be a painter. He was a sculptor and the way he wanted to be remembered was as a sculptor. So his career started, um, oh my goodness, and, and his life and his legacy are just untouchable. But God started ordaining that as a child. Um, he lost his mother. His dad could not raise him because he was trying to tend to the fields, sent him to live with an uncle. And, and I, when I start the story, I connect with so many of my students because they're being raised by someone who is not their biological parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so they can really connect. There's a group who can really connect with him just by learning that 
he was given away and being raised by somebody else. But that uncle was a stone carver. And by age six, he already had Michelangelo carving blocks of stone for the, the ground in Florence or the buildings in Florence. And by age six, the Lord was already giving him the tool, literally the tools and the skills he needed so that by age 24, he sculpts his first Pieta, which gave him recognition. And, and that's, that's really the first notable piece that he puts out. So he was not a painter. He was Got a it. sculptor. And, if, and the Pieta, are you familiar with this work of art? The no, Pieta. I remember now. Yeah. I, I, have heard of, I have heard of the Pieta. Is this the one with, um, with, is this the one with Mary? This is Mary. Okay. And this is, uh, she's holding Jesus, right? Yes, the dead body of Christ. So okay, Piet there we go. Pieta is an Italian word that means pity. And it's, um, and, and we look it up. What is pity? Because people think they know what pity means. And my students are, they're like, I mean, it's, it's pity when you feel sorry. No, 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 no. So much more than feeling sorry for. It's um, being moved with compassion mm. of, of the, the, the hurting of someone else. So Pieta in art, specifically during this time period, uh, references Mary and the dead body of Christ. She's overwhelmed with sorrow because of what her son physically went through in his death. Um, and Michelangelo changes the way that looks. That's one reason this is so powerful. Also, there's so many stories here, but this is the only work of art he ever signed. He carved his name, Michelangelo Borinardi made this into the sash because he was so arrogant at 24. Somebody else, another Michelangelo, you know, Michelangelo in Italy uh, during this time period is like, you know, Sarah Smith, mm -hmm. you know, like everybody's named Michelangelo. And so he was, somebody else was given credit and he was like, oh, uh-uh, no, bruh, that's mine. And he yeah. sneaks back in at night and he carves his name into it. And when they revealed the sculpture, everybody was talking about the pride of this young artist instead of the beauty of the work. So there's, I mean, there's so much that surrounds this work of art, but it's what put his name on the map. And um, I love that it's at the beginning of his career because we get to talk about what's so special about Jesus, excuse me, Mary holding the dead body of Christ. And he changed it. He forever changed what this looked like. If you look at images in history prior to this, Mary is sobbing, of course. And we talk about this. Why would she be so heartbroken? Because she just watched her beloved son brutally beaten and murdered on a cross. And we talk about, I talk about all of that. What history, and again, this is not my opinion. This is what history records. Right. So I pull up information from the History Channel. What does the History Channel say Jesus' death look like? And then we go back to Mary. No wonder she's shown sobbing and hysterical. She, and then I relate it to common day. I mean, we talk about people in the news right now who are killed and we see their family sobbing. And I'm like, that's what Mary was always portrayed as. But in this one, she's peaceful. And they even look at the face of Jesus and he's smiling. He's in the Pieta. He has a slight smile. He's not in pain. He, he's at peace. And the book says, and then I have somebody read it because it's not my words. This is, this is not my opinion. These are not my words. The art history book says that Michelangelo said he made her at peace because she knew she needed a savior. Ooh, yeah. Talk, what a talking point because they were just, their eyes and minds were just open to this brutal, this brutal, excuse me, death. But now it's being portrayed as this beautiful gift. Mm -hmm. So uh, we get to talk about what, what is a savior and why did Mary need a savior? And um, so there's, there's so many amazing talking points. And, and, and that really is true appreciation of art. When we, we don't just talk about the skill of the artist, which we do. We don't just talk about um, the process the artists use. We talk about the message and the meaning. And you've got to really dig sometimes to get the full message and the meaning. Now, Michelangelo at 24 did not believe any of this, but okay. that's one thing he has been credited with as being one of the greatest historians to ever live. 
And we see that in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, which is what you brought up earlier. Yeah. Oh, my word. So, like, how do your students react when they, I mean, like, yeah, the Pieta, I mean, you know, I mean, are, is this like the first time some of them have, are hearing this and they're connecting with them? Or do you have students that are like, oh, yeah, I know what that is? Yeah, so one thing that I, I use a lot, a tool that I use a lot, I think it's important as an educational tool, but for me to get to know my students and know how to speak to them more directly is uh, on the big pieces like this, not on every piece, but on the big pieces that I, I want to connect with later, I'll have them reflect and write a quick reflection. Five sentences, when I think about Michelangelo's work on the Pieta, I dot, dot, dot. And they just give me five sentences. And it can be about how skilled he was or how arrogant he was when he signed it. Or um, it can be about the meaning or what caused him to do it or the story behind it. And so um, a lot of times with this piece, they talk about that they, they'll reflect in the peace of Mary when she watched her son brutally beaten and mm -hmm. ultimately give his life. Um, they'll talk about that. And so they're not talking necessarily about their need of a savior, but they're talking about how hard that must have been for Mary. Mm. So how much, you know, when you're, uh, when you're talking and, and you know, teaching them and you're explaining what, because now we hear the word starving artist all the time and it's, you know, it's historically accurate. We know that, you know that. Um, and, uh, and, but one of the things that, that the Catholic church did in controlling, not just their, the, the messages that were sent out into, you know, through these paintings, but controlling the, the artist's lives, how much of that, um, you know, now with censorship and how much of that with, uh, that, that we see this, you know, free expression everywhere, what, you know, how would that have changed art and how are, are your, are your students allowed or able to connect with that? Not at this point uh, in our class, because this is the yeah. beginning of the semester. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily at this point, but I always try to make connections as we move on to the next artist. Well, they were able to do this because he did that. And this person was able to do this because he did that and he did that before him. Um, and so by the end of the semester, they get that because these guys in the Renaissance did what they were doing. And I, and I say guys because women weren't considered artists. And there are women artists who come out of the Renaissance, but they were not considered artists. It was just, you know, how they passed their time when they weren't tending to the family, you know. Um, so, and that's another talking point too, which is really fun. But um, this early in the semester, they don't, they don't get that yet. But what I drive home with them, and, and for those listening, anything that I say about the church which would specifically mean the Catholic Church in Italy during this time period, um, I try to approach it with great appreciation. Because here I am in 2022, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with my students yeah. through art, because the Catholic Church valued the pictorial images of what was recorded in the Bible. And I'm very grateful. Am I Catholic? No. Do I believe differently in areas? Yes. But I am so thankful for the church who was funding this. And, and these artists weren't starving artists. Um, I, I mean, I could consider myself to be a starving artist. But they weren't. They yeah. weren't because they were doing the work for the church. And, and, and Reba, after the Pieta, he does the sculpture of David. Mm. So he's still not doing the Sistine Chapel yet, which is what yeah. he's probably most known for. And again, right. he wasn't a painter. So he, he finishes the Pieta. It gets him notoriety. It gets his name out there. And they had already started, Florence had already started a sculpture of David using this massive block of marble, 17 feet tall, um, at least eight feet wide. And it was called the Giant. And they wanted David to be the subject of the sculpture. And uh, another artist had started it. He was the greatest. He was considered to be, and, and I, this is fun to talk about with my students as well, because you know, in 2022 and in my lifetime, artists aren't considered celebrities. 
They're not right. in my lifetime. But back then they were. Okay. I mean, it was like, think about, and this is the conversation I have with them. Who, who was the greatest basketball player to ever play? Well, there's two names. Right. Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Very good. So we have this intense conversation because the guys who are in it, they are passionate about it. And it gets right. intense. And, and it's like, obviously Michael Jordan. I don't even know why what the conversation is. Right. But, but anyway, go ahead. I'm so sorry. Anybody in our age group would say that. And we are right. <laughs> yeah. We are right. But these kids will go back and forth and they get passionate. And I just let them go. Like, I just let them, I just sit back and watch. Because at some point I point out that passion, that passion right there that you have for the greatest basketball player to ever live. That's what life was like in this time period for artists. So Michelangelo is a name that is up and coming. Well, the greatest artist, the greatest sculptor was given the project of David. And he said that the marble was, um, was messed up. It couldn't be used. It had bad coloring. It had bad veins. And I don't, I don't know if you know about marble, but um, he was like, it's impossible. And David said, excuse me, Michelangelo goes, um, how about you give me a try? And he did this remarkable sculpture of David. And when he finished it, he was proclaimed the greatest artist in Italy. And he knocks the other guy. So it's like, it's like Michael, it's like Michael Jordan is like, take one, right. take one. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. come at me, come at me. Right? right. And so that's how I connect them to sort of the celebrity of these guys and how big of a deal it was to be proclaimed the greatest. Um, yeah, because it wasn't like these things were tucked in museums. I mean, these things are in, I mean, everywhere you walk through the cities, there's wor the works of art are there in front of yeah. you. I mean, yeah. you know, so they're not like they're tucked in a, in, a, in a museum somewhere like they typically might be today. Right. Oh, yeah, no, it was out in public. It was a, it was a symbol of the city. So we, yeah. and the book says that. So then we talk about, well, what do you mean the symbol? Like a logo. Well, what is that? What is that even? That's, Let's talk about it. What do you know about David? I mean, let's talk about what we see. He has a stone in his hand. He's got the sling over his shoulder. He's staring down his opponent. Look at the tenseness in his muscles. I mean, what is about to happen? So some of the kids who have been raised in church or they've attended vacation Bible school, they start talking about, well, isn't he the guy who, you know, this and that, he killed Goliath? Yes. So then I get to, you know what? The art history book tells us what, what Michelangelo used for his information. So let's just use what he used. And I pull out the FCA Bible, which is a school-approved copy of the scripture. And mm -hmm. I'm like, and I just, you know, I stated I hold the Bible up and I'm like, this is, this is the school's Bible. I, I don't want you all to think that I'm reading from my own personal Bible. This is the textbook that's approved in the school. So we're just going to dig into the research that Michelangelo did. And I read the story to them. And then I show them videos from the History Channel. And, mm -hmm. and the, the show, the Bible, mm -hmm. uh, when the fight actually goes down and they're watching it. Um, and in, on the history channel, they've got these great historians who sometimes are religious and sometimes are not at all. And they're talking about David and Goliath and what a mystery this was and what a miracle this was. Mm -hmm. and we get to talk about, you know, being on God's side and what God can do for you if you are on his side. And if you were trusting him and, um, and so it, it's apart from Jesus and the Pieta, sure. same artist. And now we're looking at God, the father and what, what, what having a relationship with God is like and what God can do for you. Well, wow. well then he's proclaimed the greatest in history and the Pope at the time is wanting to, um, redo the ceiling of the Sistine chapel. Did you know there was already a painting on the ceiling? I did not. No. Yes, there was already a painting. It was just the night sky, stars okay. in the night sky. And he had already had artists working on the walls. And so this is really interesting. He calls, he, well, calls, ring, he rings Michelangelo. No, he has his team. I think by that time they were texting. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He has his team go get Michelangelo and bring him to the city. And this is Rome. And he shows him the Sistine Chapel and he says, I want you to paint the ceiling. Michelangelo was not a painter. That's what he told him. I'm not a painter. In fact, the Pope was so impressed with his work with the Pietà and, and David that he was already having him sculpt 
um, images for his tomb when he died. Huh. Which we can't even wrap our mind about because we just get a little headstone. Right. But that showed your authority back then. Your power and your authority was how big and how bad your your encasement for your entombment was. Sure. So he had all he had Michelangelo sculpting, and it would have taken years. I mean, we're talking about job security for years to come. So when he calls him in and shows him the ceiling, Michelangelo's like, "Why, why you, why are you calling me? I'm sculpting for you. I'm a sculptor." And he said, "You're going to paint the ceiling." No, 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 I'm not. I'm not a painter. I believe you can do it. I'm not. Mm-mm. Nope. I'm a sculptor. Remember, I'm working for you right now. When you die, you're going to have this amazing monument. You're going to be known yeah. as the greatest of all time. And he's like, you're going to paint the ceiling. And Michelangelo said, I'm, I will not do it. And that's where history records that the Pope, using his papal authority, um, so the church ran the government, even though they were separate, the church right. ran the government, so they couldn't be. Um, and he said, you will do this or I will condemn you to hell. Now, Michelangelo is, he's in a place where he doesn't believe this stuff. He just doesn't. Um, But he's working for the church, so he does religious art. But he doesn't believe it. And there's something to be said for that, because the work that he does in the Sistine Chapel, art historians say, is the greatest work of art in the Western world. Hmm. Let that settle in your mind for a second, because he's not a painter. He doesn't believe what he's about to do. And he's so committed to the project that it names him as the artist of the greatest work of art in the Western world. So, wow. right. So this man's work ethic is, is beyond belief. Um, and there's a lot we can take from that. And I often have my students reflect on that too, because you can't be lazy and be known for being yeah. good at anything. So um, he accepts this job because he's afraid that if he's wrong, he will spend eternity in hell at the command of the Pope. Again, nothing to do with relationship with God. Right. So the Pope tells him, you can, and these are talking points with my students. This is not just a talking point with me and the two of you today. We discuss all of this because they are, I mean, they're coming into the classroom with, with really, truly, an openness to anything. This generation mm-hmm. is open to anything. And I, I like to think of that as um, a blank canvas that I can really give them some ideas to bounce around. And, and ultimately, our job as believers is to share the gospel. We are to share the good news. We are not to change the hearts and minds of people. Yeah, we can't, right? We cannot. That's not our we job. Yeah. Stop. It's not our job. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So I just give and give and give things for them to think about. And then I require that they think about it. That's why we do the reflections. So mm. we reflect on that at the end of class. It's, it's how they get out of class. You cannot leave until you respond with three to five sentences on what are your thoughts about someone else condemning, being able to condemn you to an eternity, you know, an eternity. And some of them will respond with, well, I don't believe in life after death, so it doesn't affect me. Or, um, you know, it actually scares me to think that someone else can be in charge of my eternal destiny. And some will say, well, it makes me question my relationship with God. So it lets me know where they're at so that when I talk the next day, I can direct my comments toward specific people and the way that they're thinking. Mm. So when we, when we go to study the, the ceiling. So he paints the ceiling first, and then he paints the back wall. Are you familiar with the back wall? I am not. I'm only familiar with the ceiling. Oh, my goodness. So this is so good. We, we discussed the ceiling first, but the back wall is where it all comes together because the back wall is the last judgment. And you literally see what Michelangelo calls, and it's 65 feet tall. These walls are huge. Right. So it's 65 feet tall, and at the top, he describes it as the glories of eternity in heaven. Right underneath that, we have Jesus, who is in authority with Mary beside him as the, the righteous judge with his hand in the air, judging people. Underneath him, just at his feet, are martyrs who gave their life for what they believed when it came to Jesus. Okay. Underneath that, there are angels and demons fighting over the souls of people, 
fighting, literally pulling them up into heaven or beating them down into hell. Underneath that is the what Michelangelo calls the horrible terrors of hell. Huh. Okay. Now that's the back wall. So we'll come back to that because that's how we end our discussion with Michelangelo is that painting. So 24 years before that, here he is as a young man and he's being forced for his eternal destiny to paint the ceiling. And he's not sure what he believes. And he said at one point that the ideas that are portrayed by the church and what he researched in the Bible do not connect in his, he's torn. He's emotionally torn his entire life over what Mm. is true. So that, that gives you an idea of where he's at when he's commissioned to paint the ceiling. So he's in the church and the Pope is saying, all right, I've had all these amazing Italian artists repainting the walls. And all of the stories on the walls are about the prophets of the Old Testament and about Jesus, the life of Jesus. Okay. And and he's looking at all of this and he's coming from a place of, I'm being forced to paint this for my eternal soul. And I don't know that I believe that, but what if he's right? Right. So you can see Mm -hmm. this, this, um, you can see this real tug of war. Right. His his mind and his soul. And I think that people are in that place often. So that's a connecting point with some of the students. And I'll say that now, based on your reflections yesterday, some of you don't know what you believe. Some of you are very certain of what you believe. And some of you probably believe something and you don't know why you believe it. And that's where Michelangelo is when he starts painting the ceiling. Wow. And the Pope tells him, listen, I believe in you. I believe in your skill. I believe in your talent. I know you say you're not a painter, but I've seen your drawings that you do for your sculptures. You can do this. You can paint whatever you want on the ceiling as long as it's found in scripture. So Michelangelo paints what he says from the Old Testament. He's researching why he would even need Jesus because Jesus is all over the walls. So he's like, I don't need to paint Jesus. I'm going to look in the scripture and research why I even need Jesus. So from the ceiling we get, his most famous is the creation of Adam. That's the, the image that has been even reduced down to the fingers that are almost touching. Right. And there's so much in that painting. But he paints the creation of Adam. The, the three most famous are the creation of Adam, the fall of man. That's Adam and Eve and their original sin. And that painting is a before and after. And my students, okay. put, they put that together. It's not four different people. It's Adam and Eve before they ate and Adam and Eve after they ate. And if you look into that, we see um, where they've gone from no shame and good health and good fortune in one image and the snake, this gorgeous serpent who starts as a snake wrapped around the trunk and becomes this beautiful image handing the fruit. That's on one side. And on the other side, Adam is, um, his body's decaying. Eve is clumped over hiding her body. She realizes she's naked. They already look like they're aging. They're embarrassed. They are ashamed. And that same image that was a beautiful serpent-like creature is now floating in air with a sword pointed at Adam's neck, the tip. And I put, I have this little rod that I used to point and I put the <laughs> rod in my students, whoever's sitting close to me, I asked them, can I, can I show you something real quick? I'm going to have to put this near your neck. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I put it right and I touched their neck and I say that same beautiful image that made that fruit look so wonderful. And we talk about the tree of life, right? And the tree, right. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So evil was there. But as soon as they eat of it, they know about it. Mm-hmm. So they eat the fruit. And here is that same creature now floating in air, controlling the air. You're right. And the sword is in Adam's neck. And he is a prisoner to that creature. Any mm-hmm. wrong move and that creature will pierce his neck. And I have the sword in one of my students. And I'm like, he's, Michelangelo is painting a picture of what sin does. Now, we've already learned about sin, remember, y'all, back at the Pieta? Mary needed a Savior because of her sin. Now we're learning why she was a sinner. 
because Adam and Eve. And so everything bounces back and forth. That's incredible. And then the flood, the flood where God recreates the earth. And I talk about science. I mean, science proves the flood. So this isn't just mysteries and fables from the Bible. History proves that these things happened. So I'm not teaching you from my perspective, y'all. I'm just teaching you history. But you've got to You've got to dig into the history, the story, before you can understand what the artist actually did. Wow. And that just goes on and on and on. Those are three paintings. And there are, I think, 160-something on the ceiling. And that's just three. But what he did on that ceiling, he was declared the greatest historian. He he paints Jesus' genealogy. I mean, we get Rahab the harlot. I I, I like y'all. Do you know who this is? Look at this woman right here. She was a prostitute Mm. who chose to believe that God was who he said he was. And Jesus came through her line. I mean, so we talk talk about all kinds of stuff. But then it's the back wall that really gives them the point of decision. Okay. Because there there needs to be a point of decision, right? Right. We offer the information, but uh, if we're going to evangelize, then we need to say, okay, you've heard. Now you need to decide. What do you believe? So 24 years later, he is asked to come back and paint the back wall. And does he want to? No, he is not a painter. He's not in his mind. But obviously he is. Obviously he is. So he paints, and he's told this time, you're going to paint the last judgment. And if you look at this painting, it is intense. When you walk into the room, and, and really one of the true fun things about this is, is because I've taken students to see this in person, I get to share their stories of their experience. Because mm-hmm. you walk into the back room, your eyes are at eye level with hell. And you have to look up to find the glories of heaven. Okay. So when you enter you are, uh, the, uh, so Michelangelo used scripture. He used the beliefs of the Catholic church. He used his own opinions because he's an older man at this point, he used his own opinions. And he used, um, uh, the book Dante's Inferno. Okay. All as inspiration for this painting. So in hell, there's the, are you, in, are you familiar with Dante's Inferno? Yes. Okay. So um, he, there is, Sharon is on the boat and Sharon has a rod and Sharon is beating people out of the boat and they're dropping into the lake of hell, the lake of fire. Um, and so that's what you're staring at first. People in torment, people being pulled down, beaten down. Um, okay. they can't fight their way out of hell is, is what you're seeing. And it's truly disturbing. I mean, it's intense. So. We start there because that's at eye level. You start looking up and you see angels that are rescuing people and pulling them up. You see demons that are pulling them down. There's one guy who is hopeless and he's just given up. You, you look into this painting and you'll see him. He's, the, he's been called the damned soul because it's almost as if he realizes his destination is hell and he isn't fighting anymore. He gives up. And he's being wrapped by a snake and the snake is about to bite his leg. And he just gives up and you can see the emotion on his face. Um, So hell is here, bottom right. The damn soul is just above him. If you keep going in this perfect diagonal, then you see Jesus. Who is the judge, the righteous judge. And then up at the top of the corner is um, a cross where Jesus was crucified. So it makes this diagonal. Now, right along the diagonal, there is a prophet who is holding the skin of a human. And this is where things get so interesting because it's this perfect diagonal and the skin is dangling between heaven and hell. And if the prophet drops the skin, it will fall into the lake of hell. And if the, the prophet raises the skin, he will be taken to heaven. And it's just the flesh. The reason for that is that's the prophet who um, in the Old Testament was skinned alive. Okay. So, I mean, little Bible history here. Any prophets skinned alive that you know of? 
Franny. I don't. Mm-mm, I'm not coming up with it. It's yeah. Bartholomew. Bartholomew. Okay. So Bartholomew is, he was skinned alive for his belief because he followed Jesus. Okay. And here he is in the flesh. He's, he has his skin on his body completely intact because he's been made new because he's in the glory of heaven. But okay. he's holding the skin of someone else. And if you zoom in, this is where things get really, really, really fascinating. Because remember, that skin is dangling between heaven and hell. Okay. The self-portrait of Michelangelo. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then we talk about what could that possibly mean, y'all? What do you think this means? What is the artist? Because that's part of uh, critiquing a work of art. You describe what you see without opinion. You analyze how the artist created it. You interpret what you think is happening, and then you judge it. So we're on the step of interpretation at this point. What do you, what do you think Michelangelo is saying? He painted himself as the dangling body between heaven and hell. What do you think that means? Wow. And they, they get to talk about it. Well, based on what we've learned in class, he doesn't know what he believes. So maybe he thinks he's ultimately it's up to someone else. Or um, maybe he's unsure of what to believe. Or, and, you know, you have the kids who have already declared themselves to be atheist, who, in my opinion, just means they're mad at God. So they want to believe he, something's happened in their life that they blame on God. And they don't want to believe that he's real. And the easiest way to do that is just say they're atheist. Um, and you have these students who that's their story. And, and all of a sudden they're having a conversation about God and Jesus and heaven and hell. And I thought you were an atheist. Well, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure because what if, you know, Michelangelo was like, what if, what if the priest is saying or the Pope is saying is, is is accurate how do we know if we haven't died yet oh i'm glad you asked let's talk about some of the research he did in the bible <laughs> let's mm-hmm. go back to the pieta let's talk about that again what are some of the you know and so i'm able to go back and again it's not my opinion but when they reflect on this painting so so the story ends with they the pope he finishes the painting and the pope is going to reveal the painting And the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, along with all of his cardinals and all of the people that he's invited into the Sistine Chapel, they had a curtain up and they were going to drop the curtain. The same Pope who said he was going to condemn his soul, Michelangelo's soul to hell, is standing in front of this curtain. They drop the curtain. It's complete silence. Everybody's looking to the Pope. And he falls to his knees. History records this. Okay. And out loud in tears is begging God for mercy. Have mercy on my soul. Forgive me. Take me to be with you when I die. Wow. And Michelangelo and all of the people are witnessing this. And so we, that's a talking point. Because mm. the man who thought he was in charge of other people's eternal destiny is now looking to God as the final authority. Wow. So then we reflect and I have them write about it. And in their writing, um, they reflect specifically on that. So in their writing, I have students who talk about, um, I'm so thankful that one day at Vacation Bible School, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I know Mm -hmm. I'm going to heaven when I die. And then I have another student who says, honestly, I'm scared. This makes me so scared. I don't even want to leave class without talking to you about it. You know? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, it's not every semester I get to lead a student to the Lord, but there have been semesters where I read it and then I call them back to class. Yeah. I call them back and we talk about it. I don't want to leave school. If they're, if they're concerned and they're asking, I pull them out in the hallway and I share with them the gospel. And there have been times that students have come to Christ right there in the hallway. Yeah. And it's not because of anything that I've said or done. And it's all because of what these artists painted. And all we right. did was talk about it. Yeah. Well, I am sure there are people listening who may have have some like introductory level concept of Michelangelo's, you know, Sistine Chapel or another piece of art. But I promise you, they didn't know everything you just right exactly right now. And I know there's going to be people right now. They're going to be googling Sistine Chapel. Yeah, I was already. I was just looking where she was going. My little my Google camera was just 
panning it. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, so what a, what an incredible uh, way to study art and what an incredible way to know the stories behind these, like you said, these famous people who have done this art. So, oh man, I don't want to stop us today, but we're going to have to stop today. But here's the cool thing. We're going to come back. So this is going to be cool. We're going to do one more podcast with Andrea. So if you've had fun today, uh, we've really spent a lot of time talking about, obviously, Michelangelo. Next time we'll talk about something a little bit different. Uh, but um, man, for you teachers, homeschool teachers, uh, you know, moms at home or just the, uh, just the art buff, this is just a great uh, study to deep dive into a little bit yeah. is art history to see what all is going on behind the scenes of a sculpture or a painting. So cool. All right. Well, this, uh, we, like we said, we were going to um, end with some rapid fire questions and it's going to be interesting to hear what Andrea says. And, you know, no, she doesn't live in the Sistine Chapel, but she does get to see it often. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see um, what her things are. So just first of all, starting out with these, with these questions, what is a book besides the Bible? What is a book that has impacted you? It could be something recent or it could be something you read often. Um, oh, gosh. I love to read. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like, I, feel like uh, I might be judged <laughs> for what I'm about to say. I mean, one, okay, one book, I'll, I'll say this. Let's go Christian realm and, and, and okay. in the other realm, yes. let's call it that. Um, so one book that has made a massive impact in my life is The Artesian Soul. Okay. The Artesian Soul. And a friend of ours, Reba, um, gave this book to me and um and he he wrote me Chris Ware and he wrote me a little note in the front about how um the book not only let him understand the the heart and soul and mind of an artist a little more but it truly let him see the art and soul and mind of the mm. great creator God. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's cool. That would be that's cool. Yeah. All so, right. So it, here's, oh, okay, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say Dolly Parton's biography. Well, there you <laughs> there go. There you go. That's a fun that's, one. That's also Christian ish. It, yeah, absolutely. Jason, maybe. <laughs> Dolly. She, absolutely. Yes, Dolly. yes, yes. The Dolly great Parton. unifier. There you go. All right. So what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Travel. I love to travel. I, I'm the the Lord has blessed me with um, not just a passion to see His creation, but opportunities to travel for free. Um, yeah. And I, I couldn't do it on a teacher salary salary with without that. And so He's just blessed me, and um, I'm obsessed with obsessed with going to new places and seeing new parts of the world that He's created. Awesome. What is something that somebody that people often get wrong about you? Mm. Um. I, Gosh, what a question. Get wrong about me. I, I, uh, I think I'm a little, well, I think what, let's start this way. I think what people are right about is I'm, I'm very emotional. Um, I'm sensitive to the emotions of other people. And if, if you've known me for quite some time, then you know that that comes through tears. Um, what they get wrong about me is that they always think my tears are sad when often it's praise. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, my tear, you know, people worship and praise in different ways. And in one way that my tears come out is just in praise. Yeah. So they could be happy tears. They don't have to be sad tears. Right. Mm -hmm. That's all. All right. So favorite movie. <laughs> um, Besides Ninja Turtles. Uh, yeah. Right. Which I hate the Ninja Turtles movie. Um, hate, loathe, but the kids connect with it. So there you go. Um, I. Gosh, one of my all-time favorites that uh, I just have to have every Christmas is okay. Miracle on 34th Street. That not the original, the 2000 recreation. That was, oh that yeah, was oh that's such a good one. I like that I one too. I love it. I love oh, it. I love it. Okay, so you're sitting down to watch your favorite movie. What's your favorite meal that would go along with that? Uh, Italian. Italian is my number one. Italian all the way. Pasta. Mm. Yep. All right. This is always a fun question just to see how people do their thing. What's on your nightstand? Oh, awesome. Um, chapstick, my favorite chapstick, Burt's Beeswax has to be on the nightstand. Um, and I keep books on there. I'm, I'm writing. Uh, I have three books on my nightstand right now. One is 
Um, and, and I'm a dork, so they're not by importance, but by size. Yeah. So the smallest one on the top is a leather bound journal that I got in Venice and I'm writing the stories of my students. Cool. Um, their stories, but how God is working in my heart through their story. So I've been, I'll, I'll, I'll journal in that. And it's specifically that. Um, and I cool. really, yeah, I really, my, my hope for it is that at some point it can help others. Um, and then underneath that is uh, currently woman, women in the Bible, five women in the Bible um, that the Lord is using to really speak to my heart about uh, many things, including how he valued women um, mm -hmm. and how he believed that women can be powerhouses for his cause. Yeah. So I'm reading that. And then underneath that is a, is a poetry book. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, so give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you joy. Mm, a great cup of coffee. Um, snuggling with my puppy. Uh, my gardens. I have, I have gardens in the front and backyard. And even before I um, got on to speak with y'all, I was out watering the garden. And just to see, you know, there's always weeds. It's, it's such a life lesson, right? There's always weeds. <laughs> But, yeah. the, but the beauty when uh, a new sprout blooms, I mean, uh, I love it. It brings me so much joy. And, you know, being at the pool, uh, that's also a good one. <laughs> I love it. All right, that's an eclectic what brings you joy. Oh, that's so funny. All right. So what are you deeply grateful for? Mm. Ooh. You know, I just, I, I'm, if, if we go back, there's so much. Right. I, so, I have so much to be thankful for. Mm. Um, you know, it's interesting because teaching is, it, it's a, it's a tug of war. It's a thorn in the flesh. It's a, there's so much teaching in today's, um, let's call it market <laughs> is often something I don't enjoy, but even sitting here and sharing with you how God works, mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't have happened if I was just what it would, if, if, if I got what I wanted and was just an artist, not just an artist, but an artist who just worked in my own studio and never had the opportunity to share with others who Jesus is and what he's about. Um, then what good has my life been? So I'm deeply grateful in this moment that my discussion with you guys reminded me of that. Cool. Last question, and you're prepared for this a little bit. What keeps you rooted deep? Mm. Um, I've, I'm convinced and I have learned that when I stop to serve others, no matter what that looks like, when I stop to serve others, I'm connected to the heart of the Savior. Mm. Um, and just a, a quick, a quick example of that would be, um, I was recently on a trip with a friend. We won a grant through the Public Education Foundation, and we're able to travel through England and Ireland. And we were on the streets of London, and an older man was walking toward us, and he was trying to, he had his cane, he was bent over, he was dirty, um, and he was, it had been chilly that morning, and he was trying to take his jacket off and tie it around his waist, and he dropped it. And along with it, he had a bag of his goods. And, and, and when I say goods, I, I think it was another pair of pants because there was a leg hanging out of it. And I don't know what his story was, but we were passing him. And I turned around and I stopped and I picked up the jacket. And um, I handed it to him. And um, I don't know. I don't know what came over me, but I, I just gave him a kiss on the cheek. And he walked away. And my friend was like, you... Like she's taking out the antibacterial stuff and she's squirting it on me and she's like, wash it. Wait, what are you doing? Like, you can't, you can't just do this. And I was like, you know what? I think that that man must have needed to know that he was seen today because I, I mean, I was crying just like right now. Like I was so overwhelmed by the need to just pick up his jacket and acknowledge his presence with a kiss. Um, and I'd been so absorbed in my own day until then. Yeah, you know, I'd been so absorbed in my own day and our list of things we were trying to do on this big adventure and it just stopped and it slowed things down and it reminded me that, you know, I'm not, 
I can't change the world for everybody, but I could change that day for that man. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I love it. Well, listen, this has been such a great interview. I can't wait to do the next one. Uh, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about more, a little bit about art, a little bit more about art history uh, and about all the cool things that we can learn in that. Uh, so thanks for joining us today on the podcast. I hope that you have had as much fun uh, as we have had kind of combing back through the catacombs of the Renaissance a little bit today. And uh, so this has really been good. But uh, join us, continue to join us. Uh, this is going to be some fascinating stuff as we learn some new things over the next few weeks. So until next time, we'll see you later. Stay rooted deep. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.